1: It's Midweek Motorsport Series 11, episode 42, just after 8 o'clock in the UK. No time to even speak to Tim at the top of the show as we go direct to the LA Auto Show and to our first exclusive special guest. Hello to the man at the head of Mazda Sport, John Doon. I suppose I should say, um, well, it's just on noon, so good afternoon to you, John.
2: Good afternoon, John. It's a pleasure to be with you, and and thanks as always for helping all of us tell our stories. We're really excited. It's a, a huge day for the Mazda brand.
1: Well, and thank you for giving us a a, a little bit of an exclusive here, a little bit of a, a sneaky peek, as it were, on the radio, because in around about 50, five, zero minutes, on stage at the LA Auto Show, the first official reveal of an IMSA DPI car. This is the brand-new uh, Mazda, and, well, first of all, How proud are you of this, Uh,
2: dear? It's hard to put into words, to be honest. And if I can for a second just tell you a story about a little boy going to the auto show with his dad and, you know, racing into the show, dad's a racer. Uh, Obviously, that little boy is biased and and he looks for what the brands uh, on the show are doing with motorsport. And uh, that's what today is for me. Uh, It's a reflection back to... My time at the motor shows with my dad, primarily in the U.S., uh, going to the shows and seeing how brands express themselves in racing. And it's easy to put decals on a car and, and take it to the racetrack, but what's <laughs> happening here today? And what's happening here today is, is historical for our brand. Never has a race car been unveiled at a major auto show uh, on the show floor with an introduction of a major road car.
1: And that is, of course, the new all-new 2017 CX. 5, uh, which is going to be making its debut as well. John, one of the things that we've been talking about, um, and it's been slightly frustrating for race fans, we thought we were going to see some new race cars, perhaps at the end of last year, maybe around Petit time. time. Um, not just yourself, but other manufacturers are deciding to to hold off and and make this connection between the road and the race being intertwined. Now, it's frustrating for race fans, John, but what that tells me is that brands, quality global brands like Mazda, are really, and I'm going to use a marketing term here, leveraging, sweating the asset of racing. And it's true to say that what we're looking at, particularly in in this RT24P, and more of that in a minute, is very relevant to what you guys are doing on the road.
2: You could not have said that better. I think, first of all, credit to Jim France and the entire IMSA team for giving us this platform, understanding that exactly what you just said is exactly what means the most to us. We can can all go racing. We can all, as I said, put decals on a car and go to the racetrack, burn tires, burn fuel. But what I think we've all needed and what this platform provides us is the opportunity to tell our brand story at the racetrack to a broader audience. Clearly, I grew up a race fan. You and the entire team at Radio Le Mans and IMSA Radio are race fans. But in the end, we're trying to do uh, what has really been the unthinkable over the years, and that is tie what we do at the racetrack uh, to directly to our road cars, and in our case, the design theme. And that's that
1: is something that is... That's not marketing speak when it comes to Mazda. Your corridor design, it's all about flow. It's about motion. And if you look at anything from... The brand new MX5, the ND version of that car, right through to this new CX5, it's clear where that comes from. The cars look like they're doing 50 miles an hour when they're standing still. Now, that's lovely for <laughs> It's true. That's lovely for us as consumers. How does that translate to a race car? I, I, I might say that the floor might work, but clearly it's got to be aerodynamically sound, secure and efficient as well
2: exactly right and and last evening we had a chance to see that cx-5 in in a private unveil and our chief designer uh, head of design globally Maedasan, and our chief u.s designer julian montuse were on stage and they talked about the car as art Um, and that makes everybody snicker but it's true and they don't start designing a road car with a clean sheet and just start drawing a car they draw uh, objects um, that, that show the soul of motion And what has happened with this race car, John? Literally, our designers went to the U.K., sat down with uh, the team at Multimatic, the team at Riley, and and they started as artists. And then, you know, the Multimatic and Riley team had to explain, you know, that's beautiful, but here's what happens when you put it on the banking of Daytona. (laughs) At 200 miles an hour. here's, here's, Here's what happens when you, you know, going down the back straightaway into the kink at Road America. Um, and, and so um, it's been a beautiful thing to watch. Uh, a little scary at times. Don't get me wrong, because I said, uh, you know, okay, boys, we need to get there. We need to get to the end here. But it's uh, it's truly, um, uh, really been a unique process. Um, and, and fortunately, uh, immediately after getting the design approved, you know, the engineering side went into CFD studies and wind tunnel studies, and and said, okay, you know, we've got this beautiful race car now. Is it going to work? You know, and, and fortunately, all those results have come back positive. Um, now it's our turn to tell the story and also close the deal. It's about time we put Mazda on the top step of the podium. And uh, I know everybody's anxious to do that.
1: Everybody's going to get a chance to see this on the internet when it's revealed live in now just under 45 minutes. Start biting your nails now, Mr. Doonan. Um, it's clearly a Mazda. It has the grill, the face which I always think is very important, of a Mazda with the five-point grille. Um, Underneath, it's a Riley Multimatic chassis, of course, with bespoke bodywork complying to the new DPI specifications for IMSA. Tell us about the engine, John. This is a a development, is it, of the the old MZ or MZR. It's another two-litre, four-cylinder turbo.
2: That's right, and uh, we made some updates to that original MZRR engine last year, the MZ2.0T, um, a lot of modifications. Uh, I think everything was new, sans the, uh, the block. Um, just from learnings over the years when we ran in the American Le Mans series uh, with Dyson Racing and, and BK Motorsports and, and ultimately what we did last year, uh, which was a beautiful opportunity for us with the rule package, was to come and, and develop the motor. And it's no secret, John, we're, we're leading Petit Le Mans with, you know, an hour, about 45 minutes to go. We had a fuel injector fail. Mm. So we, we had we had some issues last year. But we learned a lot. And I think we hit the ground running this year uh, with a lot of confidence in our partners at AER that that we've addressed the concerns. Um, but it's, it's a lot of what we learned last year with some minor tweaks. Obviously the installation is different. Uh, some of the plumbing is different. Uh, some of the, uh, the turbocharger, the, 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 hairdryer, as we call it, is different. Um, but, um, a lot of the same philosophies that, that really also are Mazda road cars. It's a high compression, four cylinder, two liter turbo, uh, efficient engine. And we're going to, we're going to go battle it out with, uh, with, uh, folks that have twice the size uh, uh, of, engine block.
1: I like the sound of that, but that's the way that you guys have done it for for quite some time, John, and uh, we've always said it was the little engine and the the concept that could, and you've been so close. Um, What can you tell us about the squad? I'm presuming it's Speed Source. Um, obviously we don't want to take too much away from you your reveal but you've given us the details anyway now so um, we're going to get people to tune <laughs> I know you're going to be streaming it so we'll get people to, to tune into that in, uh, um, just before the top of the next hour um, Speed source again Sylvain Tremblay's outfit they've done great work for you down through the years
2: they uh they have been and, and you know, the name of the car, the R T twenty four P speaks to our driver development program, which we're really proud of on the sports car side and the open wheel side, but you know, Speed Source and, and many other teams in the, the two development categories are examples of teams that started with us in grassroots racing. Yes. You know, Sylvain and da- David Haskell were autocrossers and then road racers and, and club racing and they've grown. And you know, when you show up in the paddock uh, and you see our operation, uh, it's, it's polished and uh, the processes are in place. Uh, frankly, the people are in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just need to have some. We just need to have some luck. Uh, we need to have uh, things fall uh, in the right place. But we're proud of that. Uh, our core driver lineup. Uh, we're very proud of those the, those young men. They're, they're they're all been part of either the open wheel or the sports car program. Um, so so we're gonna we're gonna bring those folks. In, and and I told them uh, I, I would put them toe to toe. And they proved several times last year uh, that they can run with the best in the world. And oh yeah, uh, I sure I sure hope now that with uh, with the right people, uh, now a new chassis and, and a new story to tell around uh, the design. Uh, an engine that uh, we've tested extensively on the dyno uh, and over in the car over the winter uh, has the ability to go the distance, and uh, I think all the pieces are falling in place here for a run at several race wins, and, and I pray uh, uh, an IMSA WeatherTech championship.
1: You mentioned the name of the car, the nomenclature of the car, RT24P. And that's that's not just some strange project name, John, is it?
2: No, and I, I got to credit Jim Bowie. My, uh, Jim is probably one of the most creative guys uh, I've ever met in this sport. And the simple thing is he just likes to tell it like it is. And that name, RT24P, Road to 24P, is exactly what our sports car program is all about. It's taking young talent in Mazdas or Mazda powered vehicles and giving them a platform or a path to see their dreams come true. And that's what we do at the grassroots level. In fact, Jim and Kyle are in new Orleans right now uh, about to crown the winner of our hundred thousand dollar shootout. That driver will go to the battery tender MX five cup presented by BF Goodrich next year. Um, And and so that's what it stands for road to 24. That's our sports car program. P for prototype. Clearly uh, that's the highest level and to have a car, uh, with these design cues battling it out at the front. It's just the capper. So we're really excited about it. Um, and uh, and frankly, I, I, you, you ask all the questions. I was wondering if uh, your bride knows that you uh, had this secret uh, rendezvous with an MX-5 cup car at Road Atlanta.
1: Yeah, uh, she was there um, being very, very supportive, <laughs> as was my father, actually. And it all went so very well till till right at the, the very end. And I'm afraid I gave... Uh, I gave the long uh, road racing guys, um, rather Glenn and his boys, uh, rather too much work. It didn't polish out uh, that, but it it, it, <laughs> pr- it proves if proof were needed that that's a perfect proving ground. Uh, that's an edgy little car. It needs to be driven properly. Um, and and a series that battery tender series that next year will be being showcased, John. And it's it's interesting you should mention that. And thank you for reminding me. Um, that 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 series will be. Being showcased amongst others in front of the IndyCar audience. Now that's a change, a slight change of direction for you guys. Although, of course, you've worked with the road to Indy, um, with the single-seater format, with the IndyCar. So it's not as if you're you're taking a leap into the unknown.
2: Yeah, it's a really special opportunity we had on November one, uh, late late November to make that announcement, um, or late late October rather. Um, We have worked with the folks at IndyCar. Uh, The Mazda Road to Indy is a really special platform for us. Drivers from 20 different countries coming to the U.S. now, we're we're seeing that same type of spirit with the global uh, platform of MX5 Cup. Uh, The change to IndyCar was a very tough decision. Uh, We've had a long-time relationship with SCCA at the (laughs) grassroots level and certainly SCCA Pro Racing for 10 years. Uh, but what what this does is put uh, more value into our customers' hands. We're, we're racing at some venues that uh, produce major um, opportunities for them to uh, share with their partners. Uh, uh, we're racing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway um, with, with uh, the, the SVRA group. We're going to race with IMSA at our special home at Mazda Raceway and the streets of Toronto and Barber and you know, you look at these facilities, and uh, you look at what uh, IndyCar stands for uh, at, at the highest level of professionalism. Uh, so, so, so many different opportunities to raise the bar, if you will. And so, we're really excited. Um, thrilled. Huge relationship with SECA at the grassroots level. They're very important to us, and uh, we're opening up a new chapter for MX-5 Cup and putting that car in front of a, a different fan base, mm. uh, and, and that's pretty exciting.
1: Um and uh, good luck with that, John. Good luck with that, indeed. Right, uh, the the line's starting to get a bit iffy again, and you've got to get to a presentation. So, final question, couple of questions actually, and it, it's it's back to the the matter in hand. The RT twenty four P Mazda in the DPI category. Um, first of all. You alluded to the fact that IMSA um, have brought this out and allowed manufacturers to get involved in a category that otherwise the global LMP2 category would have been manufacturer-free. Clearly, that's good for IMSA and good for you, Mazda. What does that mean for your aspirations for Le Mans? Are you and IMSA and the other manufacturers going to be lobbying the ACO to allow these DPIs to go to Le Mans sometime in the future? Because I know that you guys want to go back there, your racers.
2: You're right, John. And uh, I know everybody in the IMSA family has worked extremely hard with the ACO. And obviously, because of our history at Lamar, uh, we have great relationships, we believe, with the ACO. And uh, it, I believe IMSA has done a, a beautiful thing here with this platform. Um, it's, a, it's a cost-effective way to tell a marketing story. This is a marketing exercise. And uh, I believe it's a terrific opportunity. So um, from my standpoint, uh, I would love to sit down with all the parties involved and see if we can find a way to make this a reality. Um, you know, with balance of performance uh, and all the smart folks in both the ACO, the FIA and IMSA, there's got to be a way uh, that we can all make this happen. Because, uh, you know, certainly the 24 hours of Daytona, the Rolex 24, the 12 hours of Sebring, Petit Le Mans, these, these events are all iconic Uh, as is the 24 Hours Le Mans, and uh, we stood on the top step there at one point. I'd love to go back there in a prototype um, to be able to tell our global Mazda story, uh, which is one about building a fan base, a loyal fan base, people that love driving, and uh, we can tell that story here in the U.S., but I'd also love to be part of telling it uh, on a global basis
1: and uh and we wish you well with that. Uh, the question that has come in more than any whilst I've been on the phone to you here from our listeners is because they haven't seen it yet, they'll get to see it when it's unveiled. What about the colour scheme, John? Is soul red still the colour?
2: <laughs> well, I can tell you something. Uh soul red is a huge also a huge part of our lineup and part of that car is art philosophy. So uh I'll leave it to uh the eyes of uh, your thousands of, uh, and millions of listeners around the world, uh, when they see it, uh, um, it won't be bloodshot, let's put it that way, but they're definitely going to see lots of red.
1: I love it, John. Thanks very much indeed. I will let you get away uh, less than, well, half an hour uh, to that unveil at the Uh, U.S. Auto Show uh, at uh, LA, the LA Auto Show, uh, the Mazda RT24P. John Doonan joining us live and exclusive tonight for a little sneak preview. John, thanks for being with us.
2: Thanks so much, and all the best to you, even uh, the gang.
0: Midweek Motorsport with John Hindhoff.
2: Hello,
1: everybody. I'm John Hindhoff, and this is a special one-to-one one with Lena Gade. Uh Lena, welcome back to the airwaves. Uh, nice to see and hear you again. We're sitting at Bentley Motorsport, Motorsport Project Manager here. Um, first of all, how are you settling in?
3: Hello, John. Um, yeah, it's all good. I've been here since the 4th of July, um, so actually not that long. Um, having come over from Germany, it was a little bit fraught at the beginning with uh, moving across Um, lock stock and barrel but settled in and it's good that's
1: a good point actually because before we even talk about the business side and the working side it's easy to forget the the personal side you've had to up sticks from another part of Europe and and come back to the UK Um, obviously that's logistics that's part of what you do but did that play a part at all in your decision when you were looking to change your job
3: no, to be honest, it didn't. Um, I just needed to to have a new challenge, to be honest, to do something a bit different. I'd done the race engineering for um, you know, a fair number of years with Audi, had enjoyed an incredible amount of success with Andre Ben, Marcel, and, and the guys from Audi Sport Team Yoast. Um, and I'd been thinking about a move for a while just because I needed to broaden my horizons and do something a little bit different. Coming back to England or going anywhere else in the world was not really part of that decision process. Um and having, uh, having done it now, I probably should have taken a break from Le Mans when I joined because <laughs> I had to move over um, sort of whilst working and going to racetracks and stuff. So it took a good month to month and a half of living in hotels and backwards and forwards here and there. And one stage, um, buying one house, selling a flat, moving from one flat and renting another. So it was pretty, pretty hectic.
1: And all the while trying to assimilate into a new role, before we talk about that, and there's been a lot of misconceptions about what your role here at Bentley Motorsport, which is where we're sitting at the moment, is, got to reflect just a moment on your achievements with the guys at Yost with your guys as well. Le Mans wins, World Championships ticked off. I mean, fantastic time there. And, and you said there you'd achieved so much. Was there nothing else that you wanted to do there, if if something had was there a carrot that could have been dangled to keep you there?
3: I think um, there could have been other positions that, had they opened up, I probably would have snapped them up. Um, the only thing is, I'd been with Audi for nine years by the time I'd left. That's half their time that they were doing hmm. prototype racing, um, and as you said, I'd enjoyed an incredible amount of success. But when you're with a company for that long, you can sort of fall into the bad habits of of just accepting that things are done a certain way or mm. that's how it will be and there was a little bit of frustration creeping in with not being able to change everything that i wanted to but <laughs> but that's what you do as a race engineer you expect you can change the world and um when you don't get what you want it gets a little bit tough to accept so moving on was was really the one of the biggest challenges that i faced at that time because i'm going from a role where i was incredibly successful everyone knows who you are you can only Well, in my mind, I thought I can only fall over if I go somewhere else and I mess it up.
1: So in fact, in point of fact, it was easier to stay where you were.
3: To a greater or lesser extent, it would have been so easy to do that and continue doing the same thing because I think I still would have had an incredible amount of success. I would have been able to do the job almost with my eyes closed. I wouldn't say I was perfect at it, but (laughs) it it stopped being the the big challenge that it could have been.
1: I know that you looked at a variety of different things in motorsport. Um, Some of them... Team based, some of them series based, some of them at the track, some of them away from the track. Don't need to go into any of them if you don't want to, but what attracted you most about the position that you eventually decided upon at Bentley? And we should say straight away this isn't a transfer, this was an ending of one part of Lena Gade's story and a starting of the other. Yes, there's a a group connection there. But it was a clean break and a restart. But why? Why Bentley when there were so many other things out there?
3: Um, I think I could easily have gone to do prototype racing with another team if I really wanted to. And I'd still be doing the WEC, and I'd still be operating in the WEC. But what I opted to take at, at Bentley was um, an opportunity to come into GT3 racing, which is massively growing. Um, I've gone from a team where or an office that I was sitting in with 300 people to eight Um I've taken on um, a totally different role. I don't have a headset on my head anymore talking to drivers. And that that sounds odd, but um, I needed to give that up. I needed to move away from that and try something else out. Um, Maybe a little bit of management, that's what's come into it. A little bit of um, overseeing sort of, I'd say, strategies of where um, a company would like to go. Bentley uh, Motorsport is very small at the moment. And in the um, field of, for example, Blancpain, where they're competing with M Sport, um, there's the two cars, and you're up against the likes of Audi, this really big corporation, and Mercedes, BMW, all these kind of brands. And Bentley are pushing up at the top. And, Mm. you know, the challenge there of keeping them up there and developing and working with this great team um, of engineers based here in Crewe, and the guys up in M Sport, and then all the customers we have. That's the part which was totally different to working at Audi. And at Audi, we had... Everything was covered, let's put it that way. You know, there was always someone to do something... um, potentially if you came up with a brand new idea you could eventually push it through because Mm -hmm. you know you had all the money under under the sun that you wanted here it's different it's it's about making it work with what you've got and that's almost going back to the grassroots racing that i grew up with which was so much more fun
1: (laughs) (laughs) i understand that the business of motorsport is a is a business Did you think about leaving the sport, Lena? Did you think about making a a clean break? You you talk about things being so distinctly and distinctively different. Did you think about going away? And and if so, what would you have done? Or was that the question you asked yourself?
3: I did. I did think about doing something totally different. Um, For a while, I've been looking into America's Cup because that was something that really, really interested me. And I did a sailing course last year just so I could get my sailing license and understand a bit more about um, racing um, it's not so easy to get into. Um, it was a, it was potentially a step that I could have taken if I really, really pushed and wanted it. Um, and there's a, a mutual friend that you and I both have out mm-hmm. in the States who owns his own yacht mm-hmm. and was involved in racing before. Um, and I'd spoken to to him about it a little bit, not enough to push it through as a career, but it wasn't the time to leave motorsport yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that day will ever come. I can't say (laughs) I have worked out since July that I still really love going to the racetrack. I still love the racing. Um, I cannot sit behind a desk from nine till five. I did that when I when I worked in automotive. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not where my strengths lie either. So I think I at least worked out a few things in this move that will keep me in motorsport for a bit longer.
1: Did you think about moving to a different part of motorsport? Because in some ways, you've stayed in the endurance family. Mm -hmm. In some ways, you've stayed in the Volkswagen Group family as well, albeit with a very different scale, as you mentioned. Were there other parts of motorsport that might have tempted you?
3: Um, Only if Ferrari F1 had come knocking on the door. (laughs) uh, I I would have loved to have gone and worked for them. But um, endurance racing is something I really, really enjoy. Um, all these kind of sprint things. Like, mm. I just don't get it. Um,
1: <laughs> um, I probably think Ferrari would have done quite well if they'd offered you a job, the, <laughs> the situation they're in at the moment. Let's come back to Bentley where we're sitting now then. Um, of course, the moment that anybody heard about you coming here, you were immediately put next to this huge Bentley LMP1 programme mm. um, that didn't exist and still doesn't exist was that slightly frustrating that that was the conclusion that everybody jumped to that effectively they were looking at you like a, a one-trick pony if you will
3: no not really i didn't think too much about it um unfortunately it's going to go with the territory isn't it because of the success and um, having been involved in such a um such a great project over at Audi in ingolstadt um the only thing about it is i don't understand how people can put make five out of two and two it's easy I guess you know everyone really wants to see the big brands coming back to to Le Mans and racing there the problem is um, it costs a lot of money Mm. and it's obviously something that's become quite um, open now with with, with what's happened recently with more manufacturers wanting to come in but stating quite clearly Mm -hmm. they don't want to do it for the cost that have been associated with. And it. it goes in waves, doesn't it? It, it
1: do a cyclical, very much so. So what is your job here? What does motorsport project manager mean?
3: It's nice and complicated.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, you had to, if you were writing your job spec, what what would, what would it say? Where are your areas of responsibility, Lena?
3: So I'm doing lots of little different bits and pieces, which is quite good, actually. Um, with uh, the M Sport guys in Blancpain, I do a little bit of strategy work with them. Um, which has been quite a lot of fun because it's not strategy like I knew it in the WEC um, with these pit stop times that are allocated and this kind of thing. You have to think in a totally different way, but nice challenge nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Um, That, I believe, is changing for next year, but that's been one element of it. The other part's been... um, kind of standing back and seeing how the teams have been operating. So Mm -hmm. I've been working with Apt Racing um, over in Germany. They've been doing the GT Masters, having a look at how that all operates. And that's been slightly different because there's been three race engineers and then I get to almost... I wouldn't say tell them what to do, but I get to work with them and coordinate what's happening with three cars.
1: So you're taking a more of a helicopter view, if you will, looking down on the way everybody's working together.
3: Yeah, a bit like a chief engineer, technical director type of role, I guess, but very local to that one team. That wasn't the role I was supposed to go in with at the, um, with Apt Racing. Um, But the other part of it is also they are part of the customer racing program it's keeping them up to date with all the technical information mm. making sure that the cars are prepped properly uh, making sure that the team's functioning well because we don't want to be finishing at the back of the grid you want to be at the front um, and having the most competitive car so there's a link between Bentley M Sport Apt in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, and back here, I've had um, quite a lot of fun actually working with the engineers in the office. Um, quite a few of them are involved with the development of the current car and then the concepts that are coming up in the future. That's been interesting to get involved with and come up with ideas or different ways of looking at stuff. I mean... Um, I don't want to say that I've come in with all the answers because I definitely haven't come in with that kind of attitude. But listening to what's going on and sort of suggesting other options or asking questions about how you develop GT GT cars. To be honest, my experience with GTs was um, with Ferrari GT Challenge in the UK in 2000. and It must have been six or seven. And that's the only involvement I ever had. I did oh, yeah, two, two races with the Ford um, team with the GT1 car. Right. at Ricard and at Bruneau, and that was it. I haven't really done any other GT stuff. So but The only
1: time day... you've seen GT cars then is in the pit lane at races when you were under the P1 car, so they were just getting in your way.
3: Well, I wouldn't say they were getting in the way. <laughs> they do make a nice noise, um, but yeah, I, that's, that's my only involvement. So it's been a learning process of learning what you can do within the regulations for GTs mm. um, and where you can push the limits, and that in itself is quite interesting.
1: So it's challenging you and you're challenging it as well. It's it's a, a two-way street here. And customer racing as well, you mentioned that. That is something that is uh, massive in GT3 racing. It's becoming more and more important in all forms of endurance racing. That gives you a nice diversity, though, because you're working with different people, different teams, potentially even different series.
3: Yeah, Um, It's quite nice to be um, put into a position where you can question how things are done, but also learn from other people. I mean, Mm. like I said, nine years at Audi um, was spent amongst a lot of incredibly intelligent and bright people, but all following the same path. And we were all doing LMP1 racing, whether it was in Europe, um, Shanghai, in the States with ALMS, it was all the same sort of mentality. This brings together people with lots of different backgrounds, lots of different ideas um, and they themselves have different ways of doing things. It's actually quite nice and refreshing.
1: And you still get to go at the racetrack, which clearly is very important to you.
3: Yeah, definitely. I thought I was going to be okay moving away from it, but now I really enjoy being at the racetrack.
1: <laughs> what is it about? What is it about being involved at that close quarters to racing that attracted you in the first place and keeps you? involved in it now because clearly you've had an opportunity to review a very successful career and as you've said you you could have gone and done something else but you didn't want to that was that was the nugget that you wanted to keep hold of the the racetrack experience
3: um i think it's pretty much what it always was right at the beginning um i came from automotive i hadn't wanted to go into automotive when i first left university but the opportunities to do motorsport were were thinner for me at the time because I just didn't have the experience I needed to walk in. And what struck me about motorsport, um, which I kind of already knew, was you might get to the racetrack at seven and you're leaving again at seven in the evening. In those 12 hours, you've got to sort out every problem that comes your way. And you've only got a set time. No one's going to move the race for you. No one's going to move qualifying for you because, you know, you were you had a problem in the pits or you had an issue with the car, or you need to rebuild it, whatever. That doesn't happen. That's not to say that that happens in automotive, but the time period over which you develop um, automotive or or road-going cars is much longer. Um, I guess the the bigger difference is in in automotive, if you miss a date that you have to launch a car on, that costs a company and it can cost it very dearly. In motorsport, if you miss the start of the race, there's a little bit of the ego going, damn it, we missed the beginning of the race. But there's another part of it, which is you... Are compromising yourself and your team yeah. and you just don't want to do that and that keeps the challenge going
1: and keeps you coming back for more, so what does the near and the middle term hold, I, I won't ask you to look into the crystal ball for the far distance, I'm not expecting any trade secrets here mm-hmm. but more of the same, working with the teams working with the, the current car GT3 is a class that by its very uh in in its dna is is fairly stable and and rightly so because it's cost controlled so how much can be done and and what are you going to be doing directly in the next let's say 12 to 18 months
3: so we've got um obviously programs that are being put together for next year um and i become responsible for quite um a big part of one of them with the current car and a lot of that is pushing the current car to its limits you know basically getting the extra couple of tenths out of it when we're on track um and that in itself is quite an interesting challenge because we've got sort of a pool of ideas a list of things that we could do and a set amount of money in which you can do it so you're not going to do everything obviously Mm -hmm. you're just going to go for the things that give you the best performance for the investment that you put in so Mm -hmm. that's quite an interesting one there's obviously um still Um, I hope that I'll be involved with the stuff that um, the M Sport guys are doing with the Blancpain because Mm -hmm. that series in itself is very interesting. Um, Spa was my first race with them (laughs) and um, I loved every minute of it except right at the end Um, and I'd love for us to go back and to to right that particular wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, It was really good fun. I think we as a team learned a huge amount. Um, The steps forward that we made from that point onwards, they need to keep going and need to keep continuing and I think it'd be really good to be involved in that
1: do you still have connections with the drivers and the reason i ask that is you have worked with drivers at the very top of the sport and your boys were your boys and you looked after them you had a special bond between those three and you when you go to customer racing some of the guys that are driving are blokes like me um not exactly in shape 54 year olds who are living their dream. That's a very different type of of driver to to have to associate with and and work with.
3: Um, Yes, I do still obviously have a connection with them. Um, A fair number of them, um, they either recognise me or they know Andrew, Ben and Marcel have spoken to them. So they they know a little bit of my background. Um, I don't ever um, sort of, go into a situation or into a conversation with any of them thinking I can tell them what to do. I never used to do that with those three guys or any of the Audi drivers, and I'm not going to start now. Um, What I can do, um, and what I did, obviously, when I was a race engineer, was kind of manage them a little bit, or expectations, um, try to get them into a certain frame of mind. I don't do that directly with any of them because they have their own race engineers to do that. But if anyone ever comes to ask me, um, you know, how would you handle a situation, then that's where I guess I... I give a little bit of my knowledge.
1: And you're clearly enjoying the new challenge. It's been an upheaval in your personal life, geographically. It's been a challenge in your career and your working life, but a challenge that you've accepted. And I, I suppose I know what you're going to say here, but do you feel you made the right decision?
3: I think so. Um, I mean, I, I do still miss things um, from Audi, I really, really miss all my colleagues. Um, I talk to a fair number of them almost every day. There's obviously ones that you'll never miss, and I won't list who they are. (laughs) Uh, It's a short list. Um, And I I miss the guys. I talk to the three quite a lot on WhatsApp. Mm. Um, We obviously, as you said, we had quite an interesting bond. Mm. Um, I had the luxury of spending an evening with them in Tokyo after the Fuji race, and that was good fun to hang out with them again. Um, But I made a move for a reason. I, I needed to like I say have a different challenge Um, personally I needed to get out of of being within the Audi Mm. let's say safe bubble Mm -hmm. Um, and also having come back to England as much as I dislike the weather and now I know what everyone means when they say it rains all the time it definitely does Mm. Um, it's been quite nice being able to kind of jump in the car drive over and see my best friend um, in lemington or my sisters mm. or my parents um, every so often it, it's quite nice to experience all of that again but yeah i made a choice for a reason we wish
1: you all the best lena thank you very much for talking to us it's always a pleasure
3: thank you midweek
0: motorsport with john Hindhoff.
1: time to say good evening to graham goodwin hello graham good evening everybody good evening john uh, busy week of news, very busy week of news. Where do we start? Uh, bit of Bathurst news, looks like BMW are taking it
4: seriously. Oh, well, the Ebony's beginning to take it seriously. You know, we've we've been talking about how quickly uh, the Bathurst 12 Hour has been actually, you know, catching on with mm. a world audience, and in particular with the factories, it seems. It's BMW, you're right, quite right. A uh, pair of M6 GT3s for uh, February's great race. And uh, Mark Whitman? the uh, now reigning DTM champion, Timo Glock, um, of BMW Parish as well, is going to join what already, John, was looking like a pretty special line-up for the two SRM uh, M6 GT3s because uh, amongst the drivers of the what, what I think is now becoming moniker the Bathurst Legends uh, M6 is going to be uh, Mark gave Russell Ingall, and Tony Longhurst. It's going to be pretty special again, isn't it? Oh, massively so. Can't wait.
1: Absolutely can't wait to to see those cars on the mountain, confidently predicting from uh, down there as well uh, a lap record a potential lap record at least I think Creelsea came up with the stat that we've improved by a couple of seconds a year so that should mean that the 120 seconds the two minute mark is actually under threat this year
4: well, you'd have, you'd have thought, I mean, we've seen this rapid level of progress with the uh, not quite vertical curve, but a <laughs> steep development curve for the GT3 cars. And all that's happening, really, John, is that more and more of these teams are getting more and more experience with these cars. Better driver lineups. Of course, last year, and probably even more so this year, more of the V8 supercar stars aboard the cars as well, who, of course, know Bathurst extremely well. So, a combination of car developments track knowledge um and beyond that you know yet more kind of world-class driving talent that's actually turning up here is is pushing this one forward year by year it's going to be interesting is it with the kind of speeds we are going to see around the mountain
1: yeah and uh, we will see single car qualifying as well for that
4: Yep, shootouts for the Alan Simonson Trophy, which is going to be uh, something to see, something to behold. Really is another one. We say it every year, don't we? But if you get the opportunity to get down to uh, Mount Panorama Circuit, please do take it because at some point, as you say, every year, John, and you're absolutely right, the Nopo Green 25 hours, at some point someone's going to realise what we're doing there and stop us.
1: Yes, can't disagree. Uh, With that, uh, it's been a busy old week for... Uh, news. Uh, in fact, uh, as I said, we'll get to Bahrain and the uh, changes of of that uh, in terms of uh, of drivers for uh, in a, in a little while for the what is in fact the championship deciders. Um, FIA GT3 World Cup, of course, uh, Macau. This is a relatively new event that's kind of taken over from. The, the touring cars there, the world touring cars has sort of turned its back on Macau. Macau needed something else to do rather uh, to, to fill the, the time between the bonkers
4: motorcycle races. And FIA GT3 is it. Uh, well, gt 3 World Cup, standalone event, takes on the mantle from the GT race we've seen down through the years. Um, some good news and some bad news, I guess. The good news is some fantastic looking cars, some quality drivers aboard some of those cars. Maro Engel defending his title. It is, of course, an FIA title mm. uh, for Maru. Um And, uh, you know, a, a, more than a smattering of other, you know, uh, very good uh, GT drivers, the downside is the numbers compared to what we've seen previously are down and now, you know, you and I were in Shanghai, John, and had a chat with, amongst others, Ingo Matter from Absolute Racing, they're represented on the grid, of course, it's a race in Asia why wouldn't they be? But um, Ingo and others have both said the same thing to me, which is in the past years you'd put in your application for the GT race around the guy's Circuit in Macau and then you'd wait for weeks, if not Months to find out whether or not you've been lucky enough yes. to get a space on the grid. It's not like that anymore. We're in the 20s. Uh, it's a high quality grid, uh, at least in parts um, but uh, it's not, uh, I'm afraid, a full grid for uh, the GT race. What are we going to see? I think we're going to see Marengel being very difficult to beat again. Reggie huh. van der Zander will be very good around there. Laurence Vantur will be looking to do what he can do with what might, might be his last official race in an Audi. Nicky Katzberg has been on form. Uh, young Nico Muller has been showing very well as well and then beyond that Andre Kutu of course the uh, Macanese uh, driver will be looking to do what he can do on uh, on home ground and Earl Bamber and Kevin Estra in uh, mm. in factory backed uh, Montay entered Porsches as well now, that's just a smattering of it beyond that some some regional and local talent as well um, that'll be one to watch over the weekend if you're not following and why wouldn't you be the FIWC and before we get to that, uh, lots of British GT
1: news. Some thought that the British GTs might be in trouble, particularly in the top class. Uh, one or two major teams making noises about going elsewhere, notably to the Michelin GT3 uh, or Michelin uh, Cup. Now, I suppose we've got to call it uh, yeah, Road the Road to Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and yet this week, um, a raft of uh, teams drivers. Deciding that British GT is the place for them to be with some very tasty uh, GT3 cards. A couple of blasts from the past. Matt Griffin and Martin
4: Short both coming back to British GT. Well, yeah, I mean, the Matt Griffin and Duncan Cameron news is, I think, quite significant in brings, yeah, to, of course, are back for a full season. It's the first full-season effort for a Ferrari 488 GT3 in the British GT Championship. Uh, and then we've got beyond that, you're absolutely right, uh, Shorty back with his partner in crime with the Royal Centre Upper Racing team, uh, Richard Neary, aboard uh, what will be one of two full-season AMG GT3s. The second one coming from the MD tuning uh, team, yeah. Uh, Lee Mole will be bought that car, and that's will another also... name as
1: a blast from the
4: past, isn't it? Lee more Absolute... than British GT, and, 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 and he will be back and uh, will also campaign that car in the aforementioned Michelin. Uh, Le Mans challenge, John, so beginning to get things kind of revved up. The big change, I think, for the British GT Championship, from the point which you're absolutely right, was being talked about towards the end of the season and beyond uh, as being in not very rude health for GT3s, is that uh, the the organisers, um, Benji and the team, responded, I think, pretty well to... The concerns about the pro-am nature of the series and have come up with this kind of silver-am, silver-pro uh, idea that I think it's got legs certainly at that level. We'll see whether or not beyond. And it does seem, doesn't it, that uh, that's not just SRO, but SRO particularly beginning now to get revved up about defending their corner in the pro-am stakes. I wouldn't quite say going head-to-head ...with the FIA. By the end of this week, we should see, by the way, the Provisional Driver Rankings for 2017... After which drivers have got something like to, they've got two weeks to respond and yeah. uh, you know make objections. But uh, SRO have made it very clear indeed that this is now beginning to impact, and I agree with them, uh, pretty dramatically on the confidence levels of their um, amateur driver ranks, uh, particularly in the pro-am class. And what they've made clear is, if it's clear that you've got a driver there that is a professional driver, effectively uh, getting under the uh, under the wire into silver, that they will be prepared to. Um, uh, reclassify wholesale these guys and girls for that matter as gold star have to say struggle to disagree with that Um, you know if i think if we we, we are not quite at the point yet where people appear to be ready to grasp the nettle uh, and make the changes to the major uh, rankings at the FIA level uh, I think we're coming remarkably close to that and uh, that's going to be a very live issue John, not just in the in the paddocks of GT racing but increasingly um, in the paddocks of the LMS and the FIWEC 2 um, in the LMP2 ranks I I still think that as so long as the rules are applied
1: and applied consistently then there isn't an issue with it um, I Absolutely agree that there's been some horrendous decisions made. But if it means you've got to change the criteria for what constitutes a bronze and silver driver and what can constitute a gold and platinum driver, then do that. I, do, I mean, one of the problems that I have with the FIA. Ranking system is it pretty much discounts anything that happens in the US apart from the very, very highest level. And you know, it doesn't matter what you do in that in in something like Conti Tires, then you're never gonna get that. That's not even a, 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 a championship that's mentioned within that. And some of the championships that are missed out in that ranking system do leave me scratching my head. My issue is that all the people who complain about it, and I'm sick and tired of hearing it, frankly, they're all people who are getting well paid for doing a job. And they, frankly, they've, they're getting more drives and being better paid for it than they ever have before. And that's because there's more gentleman drivers paying for people to drive. I think they should shut up about it. If there's something that's absolutely wrong about it, if, for example, the El Bamba, the El Bamba's a perfect example. Graham, he was he was misgraded uh, because his
4: Porsche Super Cup experience was left out, and uh, uh, it was. No, I think that 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 almost uniquely was an actual error. Yes, um, where they did they, actually just they they'd not followed their own uh, rules. I think the big difference, though, John, I. I struggle to disagree with you on this one Uh, aside from one thing and it's a new thing that is just beginning to kind of uh bubbling to the surface well actually boiling to the surface uh, a number of fronts and that is from the professional driver's point of view i completely agree you know it, basically if you manage to kind of extend your career or have a career doing this then you know good luck to you and you know the difference between a silver and, uh, and a gold may well make a difference to that career but uh, you know you live by the sword you die by the sword mm. with that the big difference now and it's happening more and more certainly it's the reason why sro have responded and it's it's the new big thing, if you like, certainly in talking to drivers in the um, the ACO paddocks of the world, is that uh, those very valuable, in every sense of the word, Uh, gentlemen drivers that we've got in, for instance, LMP2, and are beginning to realise they are hopelessly uncompetitive against the new ranks of young drivers coming in and getting under the wire. Now, I find that one a little bit more worrying in the short term. I think there is a medium-term solution for this that's going to depend on how strong the numbers are in new LMP2. They're looking pretty strong in year one, but we shouldn't be making plans based on a single year. But when you've got um, drivers of good standing and of no little skill that are basically saying, I'm actually now going to have to step down from racing for my own team because, actually, I'm stopping us from being competitive. At that point, you've got to take a step away and say, well, look, if this is meant to be a Pro-Am formula, then we need to take another look. The answer, by the way, in case anybody's guessing what I'm talking about, is I think, bear in mind where we are with LMP1 Privateer, for instance, which is, frankly, nowhere, and bearing in mind the increased performance potential, at least, of the LMP2 cars – um, then I think we could find ourselves in a year or so in a position to make a pretty good case for there the, the, to be a subclass there and have LMP2 Pro and LMP2 Pro-Am. Uh, that's something I think that could but, certainly but be done. What you're I saying, actually quite but, like John, by the way. I quite like John, your your previous solution offered on air, which was to keep the old cars for the Pro-Am side.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that's a I think that's a potential that could be looked at. I mean, we could talk about this for a very long time. What I will say about it is, how is anybody less of a silver if they come from GP2 and GP3? Now, I accept that that's a high level of of experience. But they bring a million euros to an LMP2 team. How is that any less of a silver than somebody who is a... uh, non-full-time driver who brings a million euros because well, I think think it's it's everything that i hear yeah. now is people talking about money and money shouldn't no, no, really have anything to do with it it should be about it, what it should be
4: about is intent it should be about intent i mean you know in an you can't in an you, can't, world, you can't write a rule for intent though graham well you, what you can do uh, if if all things were equal of um, course they're
1: not because well just of course uh, just easy. let me throw this in right just let me throw this in you could you have a situation where someone could come from, let's say, GP three, or all right, all right, those those are actually named championships about in a, about how um, how people are graded. Let's say somebody came from a single seater championship and instead of going to GP two or GP three, spent a million and a half euros in an LMP two car and are graded silver. And then let's say, for sake of argument, that you have someone like me who hasn't got any money and is being paid money to be a bronze driver or a silver driver because I can pedal the car around and they need somebody in it. So, in fact, I'm an amateur driver who's being paid, i.e. a non-career driver is what you're talking about. That's what the intent you're talking about. So I'm a non-career driver who's being paid Ie professional, and the career driver is bringing a million and a half euros. How
4: do you? You cannot legislate for that. Yeah, you can't, and that's the problem. It doesn't fit the template, does it? And the 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 question I think has to be asked here, John. You've got to do it on an evidence based uh, basis. And what it means is, I mean, I can recall sitting around a table with all of the then FIWEC. team managers to talk about exactly this three mm-hmm. years ago, maybe even four years ago. And the the example that was being offered up as why the system didn't work was Alex Brundle, uh, that Alex was effective at that stage a mock silver. It's not meant to knock Alex. There's so many – I mean, Matt Griffin's an, another, Stewie Hall's been another, etc. Gustavo Menezes this year is yet another. And it's that that factor that potentially – is being held forward now as a uh, a possible risk to the future health of the the uh, moneyed gentleman aspect of LMP2, and you know it's not just one guy saying it. There was a piece in uh, in the media from uh, from uh, Ricardo Gonzalez earlier uh, in the week. We've had similar things said with uh, with one or two of the the other guys, both in Asia and in the WEC. And it's something that, you know, if you're looking at the future short to medium term health of a championship like the WEC, particularly now when more than more than ever before in its five year history, we need that stability. Yeah. With the, uh, you know in the aftermath of the, the Audi withdrawal is they need to start thinking about but take into, into account not just the big factory teams, but look after the customer teams really well here. Speak to them, listen to them, hear what they've got to say, what works, what doesn't, what do they need to make this sustainable over a two, three, four, five-year period, mm. over the life of these brand new, and let's not forget, extremely expensive cars.
1: Well, here's my take on that, and and this is slightly controversial. I don't think there's any place for a Pro-Am category in the new world of LMP2. I've seen what um, uh, Daytona have done, what uh, IMSA have done, and I think if you want to come and play in LMP2, you should come and play in LMP2. And if you're good enough and you're quick enough, you'll be successful. I don't think we should be making it easy for people who haven't got the skill, haven't got the experience, and frankly shouldn't be in a prototype car on the other side of that there is no room whatsoever for works teams in lmp in sorry excuse me in gt3 competition anywhere in the world and we need to get rid of that and i think those two issues if you got those sorted out then if you are a driver whatever of of whatever ability if you're good enough to drive a p2 car and you can get a result in it good luck to you But you shouldn't be getting special treatment because you are a quote-unquote gentleman driver. Just get out there and compete. It's what you would have done 10 or 15 years ago, 20 or 30 years ago. That's what people did. And the guys who drove prototypes were good enough to drive them, or they weren't. And it's time now, and I think uh, given what various uh, things that have happened with LMP2, but particularly with the new LMP2s, the new global LMP2s, and particularly with DPI in IMSA, there there should be no category for Gentleman Driver. It's not a Pro-Am category anymore. Those are racing cars that should be raced by people with experience, with the appropriate licence qualification, and I know that's it, far easier to get in some places than others. And if you're good enough, great, you'll win. If you're not then take your toys home. And frankly, there's plenty of places you can race a GT car in um, Arm, in GT3. That is where those drivers should be. Not in prototypes. That should be pro drivers of whatever colour, whether it's pro drivers who are being paid or pro drivers who are bringing money to further their career. Because let's be honest, Graham, until relatively recently, that's what up-and-coming pros had to do. If you go back and ask the Johnny Morlems of this world what they had to do to to further their career, it was either find somebody who wanted to pay them or find someone who was prepared to put some money in to get them a drive. And
4: I don't see there should be any difference from that. I think I think the answer is that you can have the best of both worlds. Not quite the best of both worlds, but you can have compromise, John. You've got two ways of – we've got three ways of cutting it. One is you say, here's the template. If you're an amateur driver without the – obviously the, the eventual skill set of some of these professionals, although there's some uh, amateur drivers that come pretty darn close, Simon Dolan, bow. But um, – if you you are one of those guys, you've got three ways of looking at it. You bring them into a effectively an open category. Well, where well, going to be less Simon Dawles. That's a, fine. That's number one. But That's Simon is a two. perfect example like that. He doesn't want to be as an amateur. But not everybody can afford that level of commitment to the cause. In fairness, second thing then you can do is else. you could have you could have two subclasses. You could have. LMP2 Pro and LMP2 Pro. And you could do that, as I laid out a little earlier. Mm. The third thing you could do, and it's a very simple thing to do, is to recognize by some means in terms of the prize structure, the trophy structure, the title structure, the... Uh, the very valuable contribution made by these gentleman drivers in making sure that these teams and some of those pro drivers and those cars come to the grid. There is nothing wrong with having a gentleman trophy within an overall class position. That's been with. done before. It happens pretty successfully. I do think we are at that point where these things need to be considered. And not just, by the way, in the WEC, but across the board where you've got this Pro-Am structure. Uh, I, for one... Welcome. The SRO have stood up and said this needs to be considered now, uh, because actually that's beginning to actually under, undermine their yeah, but central Yeah, com- but they need base. to get rid of works teams as well. They need to get rid of works well, teams. I, that, uh, that's I
1: double standards answer, that, that, I, that I, are operating there I, straight
4: the I tend to agree with you, is the honest answer. I think that has gone too far uh, there. I think there's been a little bit of a move through with the Intercontinental Cup and everything else. It's moved very rapidly from a... Uh, large grid of pro am teams with maybe five, six, seven pro, all pro teams at the top to actually risking going in completely the opposite direction. And we know what happens next, John.
0: Mm, yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, there's still a special in that, isn't there somewhere? Right, very quickly, let's uh, head to Bahrain. That's where we're off to this weekend. It's the dust up in the desert, it's the final six hours of the 2016 FIA World Endurance Championships. Still titles to be won. Have you done the mathematics? Is the arithmetic ready? Have you got the spreadsheet? And and what is what
4: is still to be won, Graham? Uh, well, plenty. I mean, in particular, uh, LMP1, the Drivers' Championship, is up for grabs. That's pretty simple, John. That basically needs the number two Porsche. Let's forget the point for qualifying because, realistically, the six Toyota, which is the other car in it, and the two uh, Porsche on form are unlikely to qualify on pole but basically what it means is sixth or better will be enough for the number two Porsche crew to claim the driver's title the 17 point cap right so in other words if there are no problems for any of the LMP one hybrid cars then just finishing in line of stern uh, wherever they finish then the number two car will be fine but they cannot afford to fall out of the first corner and not get classified no, they can't. And the other complication, of course, is if there is a delay for the number two car, uh, because it's the drivers' championship, it is points scored in pure finishing order, not just in P uh, one, but point. in two as well. So good if you fall down the order. Every time you overtake a P2 car, it is effectively a battle for position in that championship. That's a very good so, point. what does the what does the number six car need to do? It has to at least finish second, no matter what happens. Anywhere other than second and below will not be good enough for the number six. Um, uh, but it really comes down to ultimately, if the um, it, it's you're looking for sixth, if there's. Uh, if the number six car is is looking like a leading car, beyond that, I think from memory, anything down to thirteenth will do. Right. If the if the um, the number six car finishes second, right. that's pretty easy. Then you get into uh, LMP two's done. That's all gone to yeah. Signatech and that's well done, done at the last round. The manufacturer's title has obviously gone to Porsche. Uh, but then beyond that, you then get into the GTE Pro title fight. And that is where it's going to be all up for grabs. GTM just covering very quickly. Effectively, uh, that needs the 83 car, the AF A- 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 course, 458, Francois Perrault, Rui Aguache and uh, Manu Collard to finish the race. That will be enough for them. But in GTE Pro, it's pretty bonkers. It's Aston Martin. Uh, the A, of course, of Ferrari guys and Ford still all within a chance to take the championship. Ford's options, though, drivers championship for that. Drivers championship for that one. Yeah, uh, but it is um, there's there's so many uh, combinations for that. Just watch the race. Simple right. as that. Just watch the race. Should also add, by the way, astonishingly, we have had a tenth BOP change um, in the days before the race. This time affecting only the Fords. After two runaway victories, in fact, two runaway one twos for the Fords, and they've been given a weight uh, penalty of twenty kilos, uh, and also does that have Ferrari given... written on
1: every piece of that uh, well, extra ballast that it, um, goes into th- it? Th-
4: th- th- this, by the way, John, is the second major issue that needs to be addressed by the FIWEC. This isn't good enough. You, you cannot go from race to race to race to race to race to race, to race with BOP changes at every turn. Well, the reason, the reason that Ford
1: is not supposed to be like that. The reason that Ford have won the last two races is that the, the last two tracks have suited the car. And I'm sorry, you've got to live with that. They, they were nowhere earlier on in the season. They had issues because they were getting ready for Le Mans. They did all right. They did play a little bit of a game as well and not use new tyres at places like Silverstone and things like that when they could have. But even so, you know, Mexico didn't suit them. Uh, then they come out at the last two races and they drive away because that's what the track looked like. Now, I have uh, there's, two, there's two issues here. One, you're running turbos. So you're always going to have to balance the turbos to the barometric pressure. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about different in uh, differences in weight and fuel and restrict your sizes and things like that when we're boost. not, we're A not A boost. well yes but over and above the difference between the level above sea level of of the track you're going to have yes, to do absolutely. that it? it's not,
4: yes. you're yeah, this have to do that at every sure round
1: uh, and that and that is the stupidity of having of allowing turbo cars in GT they shouldn't this just shouldn't allow them the second thing is that you, either, you, you have to have the courage of your convictions and frankly your rule book in a technical category like GTE and it is a technical category not a balance of performance category although we now have what's called performance boxes which have no place in GTE. I will continue to say that until somebody listens to me but at the moment if we're changing after every round you might as well just have success ballast and that in a world championship is absolutely nonsense. And the problem is here, Graham, is that the technical team for the ACO and the FIAWAC,
4: I'm afraid, have lost the plot. They have lost the plot completely. I have to tell you, John, I I completely agree with you. It it is nonsensical. It seems to be pretty knee-jerk. It seems to be governed by who shouts the loudest. uh, Or indeed, anybody who shouts at all. And (laughs) I just think they need a very, very Good, hard look at this in the off-season. We can't have this again. It's just nonsense. And can you imagine, John, this is what we've got at the moment with Ferrari, with uh, your privateer Porsche, with Ford and with Aston Martin. Look down the road when we've actually got Porsche back as a full factory team, potentially Um, Lamborghini, potentially McLaren and definitely BMW. What's it going to be like with eight factory teams involved in a day-to-day battle for who gets the nod on balance of performance? Put a put a pin in it now and take it away. Take a good hard look, and you know what? Pick up the phone and call the guys at IMSA and ask them exactly what it is that they've done to stop exactly this nonsense in their paddock. Well, uh, uh, they just do it fewer
1: times because there's only there's only three times a year or whatever it is that they do it, and they can't do it within a certain amount of times before the race. It just looks a bit better because maybe they've got their calculations a bit better this year. Maybe they're running on more similar types of circuit. But ultimately, it's still a flawed concept, top to bottom. Let's go back to the times when we just actually had a rule book and people built cars within the rules. And once you've built a car within the rules, you raced it. And either it's good or it's not. If it's not good enough, you take it away and you refine it within the rules.
4: And then you come back and you race it again. At the moment, I, what I, we're doing—I—I with... I, I, I don't disagree, John. I don't disagree. I'm actually at the stage now where I'll be blunt. I'm so bored with balance of performance. I'm so bored with being told that this is flawed or that's great or this works. I'm so bored with it that uh, I, you know I do—I do acknowledge. The argument that to to get varied large grids you need some kind of form of it. But really well, I, I
1: disagree with that. I think well I think if you're good enough, come and race. If you're not, go and hide and go pot hunting in G T three with works teams. And that's what's happening. That's what's been happening. And let's be quite fair about this. I've criticized BMW for doing that in the past. They've gone pot hunting with works or pseudo works teams, as have Audi as have other people, in GT3, in the big GT3 events like the Nürburgring, like Spa, and one or two others. And it's going to happen in IMSA next year. And that's where the IMSA model actually will fall down when you've got the works teams like Honda Performance Development and like the other works team in GT Daytona next year. That's not even the top category of GT, and that's going to be ridiculous. I'll tell you that now. What The, the point I'm making is, If you are big enough and ugly enough to want to go racing, then build a racing car at the rules and go and race it. BMW have avoided doing that quite skillfully for a while. But now they've realised that they can come in and do it in GTE because they can manipulate the rules and manipulate the balance of performance so that they don't have to build the best car. And frankly, that is a nonsense I love the fact that BMW's coming in, but the only reason they're coming into GTE is because they can think they can affect, their think as exactly as they did in touring cars, they'll sit on the committees, they'll make sure that the rules and regs suit their cars, and they'll build the car to the regulations, which is fine, I have no problem with that, but don't change it every week.
4: Well, let's let's wait and see, John. I mean, for, from my point of view, don't disagree. I think it needs a fundamental think-through before we get to the stage where we've got what what certainly will be a grid worthy of a GT World Championship moniker, which is what it should be uh, moving forward. And that's obviously, we know that's something that uh, the uh, World Motorsport Council are being asked to consider again on behalf of the WEC. Yeah. Within uh, the but, WEC, you know, we though, cannot, we should say. Within the WEC. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we cannot... Go forward on this kind of basis, where the politics, the niggles, the moans, the oh, this all of it—you know—it's not news. It's not anything other than the technical tittle-tattle that's politically motivated, that that's skillfully manipulated by the arch demons amongst them. What what do I expect to see in Bahrain? I expect to see a Ferrari going really fast.
2: That's yeah. what I expect
4: to see. Yeah, I because they went has been really slow by Ferrari. Yeah, uh, I think I think they've been they've been racing for uh, to, to to the finish for this championship, and I expect to see both the fifty one the seventy one go like a bats out of hell.
1: Well, they didn't have to race. They did, they really didn't have to race the Fords for the championship. They've been pacing themselves from the Aston Martin, and they've been able to point at the Ford and say, is us? Who is us?" when they're really racing the Aston Martin for the championship. It's, it's, it's an outstanding, correct. outstanding tactic. Don't get me wrong. The drivers have played their part as well. Um, and that's, you know, you can point the finger at the drivers as well. I I personally wouldn't do that. They've been told what to say and what to do. They've been walking around with a face like a smacked behind because they've been told to do that. I'm absolutely certain but they've played a blinder so right okay a quick couple of predictions does the number two Porsche win the drivers championship at the weekend
4: (laughs) right two answers John you know I always do this the answer is all things being equal there is absolutely no reason why they shouldn't however has there been a race and indeed a season in the FIWEC's history where it's not thrown up something extraordinary we saw this with Mark Webber absolutely frankly Carry, carry the car back in a rucksack um, <laughs> to, to win the title um, what do I think? I think we're going to see something extraordinary because we always do Yeah. Uh, I think that's, that's the level of expectation I've now got of this championship is I think we're going to see something extraordinary whether or not that is an incident that sees a car have to chase back through the pack I can see you and I in that booth getting incredibly excited at various points of this race and I think we're going to see a chase for the title
1: um, Ferrari will drive away from GTE Pro, as you've rightly said. They've played the political game and the tactics well, and and frankly, I am not criticising them because if that's been if that, those opportunities have been made available by weak officiating and a weak technical team in the championship, then good luck to them. You've got to maximise uh, your your situation. Absolutely, uh, think. That's true. The manufacturers' title in in GTs not uh, not done either, and that could be uh, one of two or three marks as well, couldn't it?
4: Well, it's a, yeah, absolutely. But again, here, John, I mean, what what? It's going to have to be carefully managed uh, by these teams. I mean, Aston Martin have got it all to win. Ferrari got it all to win. Ford stand the opportunity to actually bring something home as well. Mm. Um, it it. <laughs> This could be the one. I mean, it could be that actually what we actually get is a perfectly predictable and, um, you know, almost... Well, you can't use humdrum to, to talk about the LMP1s. There's astonishing things. But actually what might have a screaming into a microphone might be GTE. Yeah. That could be where you do see some real drama. All it needs is a minor issue, a puncture for one of those cars. Oh. And boy, you are gonna have a dogfight. No matter what advantage they've got you lose half a lap then that's going to be a fight to come back because sure as eggs is eggs the likes of darren turner and Nicky team are not going to take kindly to waving through a ferrari uh, and lose their opportunity in a no, world no, no. title let's let's wait to see what actually uh, comes out but i think when we get into the darkness in bahrain there's going to be uh, fun and games out there uh,
1: in terms of driving talent uh... A lot of people returning. One or two changes. LMP2 done and dust us, as you said. But potentially another great race there with changes of personnel. Rennie Rast, for example, coming back.
4: Absolutely. Rennie is back. One of a number of uh, of the, uh, the guys we've seen through this season uh, is going to be back in action. Uh, this uh, this weekend and you know that, that LMP2 class John it, it's it's I guess it's the, sh- the it's a shame isn't it because just at the point where this seems to be maturing we're going to take their toys away and give them something different uh, but uh, amongst the other names we've got coming back Roberta Meri comes back for uh, Manor after missing the last race uh, Guido van der Garda is back in the uh, KFC Ligier for the extreme speed motorsport the I am. Uh, side of things, and Tom Dillman is mm. back as well now. Dillman, that of course won with uh, with the City Tech Alpine team uh, in the, I think it was the Shanghai race uh, yes, last was. year. Yes, it was. Uh, and and he was another guy um, with, uh, of course, a silver ranking. Controversially, he's already, by the way, a title holder. He's won the Formula V eight, uh, the Renault Championship this year. Um, so he's got links both with WEC and with the the single-seater championship that will support the WEC next year at a number of rounds. He will join uh, Guido van der Gaarde and Sean Galel in that uh, that ESM, the KFC liveried car. That's going to be one to watch. Again, the 26 car on a rich vein of form all of a sudden, um, with Rene Rast back in the driving seat alongside Alex Brundle and um, and Roman Rusinov—that's another one that needs to be taken into account. And you know, we saw, didn't we, when it got clear running, uh, the forty-four mana car again looked uh, a real—you know—have some real potential yeah, there for that trio as well. So the P the P two um, grid, John, I think could serve up some great entertainment. And you put that lot. In amongst the, the GTs, well, we saw what happened at the end of the race, uh, you know, in Shanghai where they needed to adjust the results after the P2 battle got involved with the GTM battle. That's the kind of thing where championships can be won and lost. You're in your own battle for a podium, it might not be a championship, but you could just as easily cost somebody their championship uh, chance. Uh, and uh, we expect to see
1: some familiar faces as well. It's the last race. For Audi Sport Team Yoast, Um, I know of at least two or three very familiar faces that we'll see uh, around the paddock at the weekend with ties to uh, that particular team. I suspect there will be several more who come out to pay their respects in the best possible way. Graham, I will see you there at the weekend. Have a good
4: one. Travel to uh, I will indeed. I think it's going to be quite an emotional one, John. I, I'm not ashamed to say it. I think there's going to be tears in the eyes uh, at the end of this one. And for what it's worth... Um, We've got the potential, we said it on air before, let's say it again, we've got the potential for one of those dream podiums. It could be that what you've got, because let's not forget Mark Webber's final race as well, it could be that what you get is the potential for an Audi win in their final race. It could be, if finishing second there's been a mayor for the number two, it could be that Toyota grab a title at uh, the very end as well, and it could be that uh, if you get the number one Porsche rounding out an Audi, number six Toyota, and number one Porsche, uh, uh, podium, that could be another one of those bizarre turn-ups for the yeah. books that ticks almost all the boxers uh, with the number two crew, let's face it already Le Mans champions this year and I think we've got some changes to come uh, right throughout the MP one uh, grid for 2017 but that's all going to come out in the wash in the coming weeks Cheers mate, see you down there Looking forward to it